Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. name is Dan and uh, get the awesome opportunity to teach God's word. I believe God's word should change us every time we hear it. Every time we spend time on a Sunday opening up the Bible, the last thing that I think we should be doing is walking away saying, yep, got it, done, walk out, and no change in our life. We need to constantly meditate on God's word and the things we've been learning, even over the last few weeks, uh, so that we don't forget it. I mentioned last week, oftentimes, and this has been proven, most people will forget what they heard in a sermon or a Sunday school about 2 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They've already forgotten because of the way that our brains are. So let's be intentional about uh, meditating and chewing on some of the things that we've learned today already or we're going to learn in the next few minutes. So, I uh, want to get started. Uh, this is going to be our last week in Nehemiah, and uh, I wanted to start with a little bit of trivia to get you interacting with me. I was a youth pastor, so I need stuff to interact people. Uh, I want to start us off talking about mission statements. Mission statements, we have one as a church. You, you hear ones for businesses that they have and so on and so forth. But um, to show us the importance of a mission statement, and not just that, but staying with a mission statement, making sure that we, you know, after years go by, we stay committed to what that mission statement and purpose is for whatever it is that you have, church, business, you name it. I'm going to show you why, okay? So this is going to require you to speak out your answer, okay, loudly, okay? I don't want any little under your breath or, you know, acknowledgement with a head nod. So here's the first one. Mission statement. Who do you think this was for? Under God's power, she flourishes. Baylor University, Princeton University, University of California. Baylor. How many say Baylor? Okay. How many say Princeton? How many say University of California? <laughs> Why would California even mention God? So, uh, uh, yeah, well, that, uh, everybody was unanimous on that. The correct answer would be Princeton University. Obviously, right now, currently, just that, you know, haven of spiritual guidance and leadership for our nation. All right, let's try another one of these. Here we go. Training champions for Christ. This one should be easy for some of us. Is it Lancaster Bible College, Bob Jones University, or Liberty University? How many think Lancaster? No one. Okay, good. That's why you better not have raised your hand. Uh, Bob Jones University, anyone? Anyone? Liberty University? Okay, yeah, this one was a little easy because they. this has been their motto since 1971. And if you know anyone that went to Liberty, the good thing with it is it's four words long. How easy is that? Because you're going to see an opposite uh, case of that coming up. All right, here's another one. Here we go. Uh, everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Harvard, Evergreen University, or Duke University, the Demon Deacons. Um, so, here we go. Harvard. Any takers worth Harvard? Okay, a few of you. Evergreen. Does anyone even know Evergreen? A few people. Okay. Duke. Okay. Correct answer. Harvard University. Which, again, they do a wonderful job at this these days. I mean, just look at their curricula uh, and so on. All right, we got one more. One more. Um, 
This one, hopefully, is pretty easy. To put Christian values into practice by developing a healthy body, mind, and spirit. Is it Planet Fitness, Boy Scouts of America, or the YMCA? Planet Fitness. Is there any taker for Planet Fitness? Okay, you had to. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Boy Scouts of America. Okay, uh, YMCA. Uh, the majority, and you would be correct. Yes, this one's kind of easy. YMCA, again, another one of those that's drifted from this. Now, I point all of these out for this reason. These are mission statements. When these institutions were founded, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, YMCA, all these things, they set this mission statement to be the thing that they were all about. And as we know, all but one of these has drifted just a little bit from what that mission statement is. In fact, they have new mission statements because it's no longer about anything spiritual. It's more about the academic or whatever it is that their mission statements say now. They've drifted from what the original intent and work was, why they were created. They've gone astray. They've walked away from it. And this is important for us because I would bet that all of us in here have done this in our own lives. Here's how. One, we've drifted one little step at a time from a conviction or a decision that we made for Christ. Some of us made a decision for Christ years ago. And I'm not saying that we've left the faith, but man, when we came to Christ, we were just like, I am so in my life is for Jesus. If he calls me to the, you know, the worst place in the world to be a missionary, amen. Come on. Here I am. Send me. And one little step at a time, life happens, and we start to drift from it. And that decision that we made, we drift from our mission statement that we at one time had. And now we look back and we're like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. Yeah, I was naive then. Or maybe it was just a resolution. Uh, we, some of us made resolutions back, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, a resolution, we made a resolution that you were going to do this or say this and and you start reading the Bible, and then you hit Leviticus about this time of year, and it just goes away. Because Leviticus is tough. It is. Uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of them, they can be tough books to read. And so we drift from it. We had in our heart at the beginning of the year, I am doing this. And I resolve I'm going to do it. And we drift. All of these things, as we see, decisions in our life, our walk with Christ, a direction that maybe he began to move you. And if we don't take it seriously and stay committed to it, if we aren't conscious of staying committed to it, guess what? We drift. And that's really what our main point is today because it's going to tie in with Nehemiah. It's this, that missions for God or purposes that God puts into our life, if not protected, will be neglected. The purpose that God has put in your life, you know, the cool thing about God is that he has created each of us uniquely, and he has a ministry for each of us uniquely to fulfill. There are not two that are the same. We're going to minister to different people groups. We're going to minister to different things. We're going to have different talents that we can use to serve him and so on. All of us have uniqueness in our purpose of what God has called you to, what he has moved you to. And if we don't protect it, if we don't take it seriously, if we do not always go back and remind ourselves of it so that we won't drift like a Harvard or a Princeton or a YMCA or any of these others that we put, if we just kind of take it 
and don't really handle it, it will soon be neglected and we will be astray just like these other institutions are. We forgot the point. Maybe we made it about something we shouldn't have made it about because what we made it the point of our life about was something that was temporary. Today, uh, we're going to look at the last chapter of Nehemiah. And we're going to see where the work that was started, a lot of the people start to lose the mission, lose the purpose, and begin to do exactly what we saw. They begin to drift. And it's subtle. And in some cases, it was big. But whatever the case, they drifted from what the original mission was that Nehemiah had. Now, to set up chapter 13, uh, at, at the end of chapter 6, some big moment happens. The wall is completed. In 52 days, this group of people, the commoners, with all the outside problems that we saw and all the inside problems we saw over the last few weeks, managed to build this wall. And it was so profound what they did that the enemies, the ones that had been harassing and threatening them, it says that they began to say, this had to be of God. When your enemies, who don't believe in the God that you necessarily believe in, are saying this had to be something of God, because there is absolutely no way they should have been able to do this. <laughs> if they're saying that, this was an amazing feat. This is something that could only have been done because God was in it. And that's ultimately what Nehemiah had made it all about. It was all about God. And so after the wall is completed, he calls for uh, reading of the law by Ezra. He reminds them of what they are called to live like, what God tells them, the, the things that they should uh, uh, do and say and all of this to fulfill the law. He calls that, and they have days of repentance where they as a nation repent before God of sins, of straying and so on and all these things. And then they dedicate the wall. And I encourage you to read the dedication of the wall. It's really cool. They have choirs walk out on the wall because they could walk out on it. And they're singing and they're declaring the greatness of their God. That's what this was all about. That was the mission. Let us restore the glory of God in Jerusalem. Let us see and praise him. And it says that they were declaring praise so loud people in neighboring villages and towns could hear them. This was not a quiet, meek, and mild praise service. This was a celebration, which all, always we need to be there. We as a church need to celebrate things. We need to learn how to celebrate things, that it's actually okay to celebrate things. There's time for reverence, but there's time for celebration too. We see a celebration service with Nehemiah. And now we get into 13, uh, the last chapter. Uh, at, at the very beginning of it, we begin to see a relapse falling back into old habits. And starting in verse 4, it says this. Before this, and this is talking about uh, the time of dedication and all the things we had talked about. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, before I move further, interesting. Eliashib, the high priest, the one in charge of the house of God, the house of worship. He's in charge of delegating where the storerooms, what they're used for, and all of this. And we'll see what the purpose of some of them are in a second. He was in charge of it. I mean, he's the holy man. He's the spiritual leader. It says here at the end that he has, he's closely associated with Tobiah. I don't know if you remember that name, but we had that name a little while ago. Tobiah 
was one of the ones who had been working against Jerusalem. He was an enemy of Jerusalem and what they were trying to do. He was one of the ones who was trying to be a fly in the ointment and stop what was going on. And it says that maybe this was through relationship, a marriage, something like that. He is closely associated with Tobiah. And it goes on in verse 5. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers as well as the contributions for the priests. If you glazed over there, hang on. Here's what it's saying. The high priest, because of his close association with Tobiah, gets a little bit into some nepotism and says, eh, you know what, hey, we're pretty close. I got this one storeroom, and yeah, we put like some of the offerings to give to God, and oh yeah, all the payment for the Levites, the people that work in the temple. We normally store it down there, but eh, whatever. Let's, you go ahead and use it for whatever your purpose is. In the house of God, he's giving an enemy a foothold to use this room because, eh, we're related. Come on, he's family. And you begin to see there's a problem here. <laughs> there's a problem of power, that, but the more deeply there's a spiritual problem here when the high priest thinks this is fine because this would not have been fine with Nehemiah. The mission ultimately had been to restore God's glory and how he was used in Jerusalem. That's what it was all about, remember? And, and now it seems that people like Eliashib had really just turned it all into a building project about walls. And as a result, all of a sudden, he starts to drift. When we make something about what it isn't really about, if we make it about something temporary, like building a wall, because ultimately they would finish building a wall. If we make it about something temporary like that, Ultimately, we're going to fulfill it, and then what happens? We kind of go idle. It's like, okay, great. We did the wall. Now what? Ultimately, a mission needs to be something that we may never see fulfilled in our lifetime. If we as a church, you know, I, I've challenged us all, uh, 10, 10, 10, as far as like seeing uh, people, 10 people come to Christ, 10 baptisms, 10 members. It's a really small number. And it's something that we're able to attain if we're being faithful to the call of God has us. Uh, if we're like, great, we did it. Now what? Then we're missing a point. It's not all about 10, 10, 10. There's something deeper behind that idea. Uh, you know, we talk about the mission here of the church, just for, or our goal just to be a church of the community, on the move in the community until we reach all the community for Christ. There's a reason for that. We will never, I don't care who you are, we will never in here fully see that fulfilled in your lifetime. Well, then why on earth do we do it? Because it's what we're called to do, to pass on to the next generation. It's like trying to live healthy. You know, uh, that's a big goal because, let's face it, okay, the holiday season comes and you don't eat healthy. It, you just don't. The Super Bowl comes. You don't eat healthy. You have to have a larger commitment than, well, you know what, I'm just going to drop 20 pounds because you might reach that 20 pounds, and if that was your goal, you go out to Pizza Hut or Shady Maple afterwards to celebrate, and then you're right back where you got. The bigger mission should be, I need to eat better and live healthier. If I make it my goal that I'm going to run a 5K as I have done, if that's my end goal, 
instead of live healthy, then I'm going to run the 5K and be, yay, let's sit on the couch for five months. Okay? There has to be a bigger mission. There was a bigger mission with Nehemiah. There was a bigger mission, and that mission was to remember to bring the worship of God back, to, to bring this city back. It wasn't about building a wall. It was a bigger, bigger mission than that. And so it is the case with us that when we make it our ambition to read through the Bible, and that's our end goal, we may, but then what's next? Why instead we need to make it more of our mission to have spiritual consistency. We may make it our goal to never miss a prayer meeting, but the end goal, the bigger mission is that we are in a constant state of praying continually and having a heart for prayer. Ultimately, we need to aim higher. We need to aim higher and have a bigger mission. So, this is a problem. Eliashib, the high priest, has this enemy <laughs> camping out, using whatever that room's for. I don't know, maybe it's where he had his TV and he watched the chariot races. I don't know. It doesn't say, but an enemy has been invited into the house of God. And now, uh, Nehemiah comes back. We'll see this uh, in verse 6. It goes on, it says, But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. Excuse me? From the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I, uh, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Before we read verse 8. So here's what happens. We get some news here. Nehemiah is not even in Jerusalem anymore. Time has passed. Uh, he was in uh, Jerusalem for 12 years governing, making sure things are done right, not just building this wall. He goes back to fulfill. He was a cupbearer, remember, and he had asked permission to go. He goes back there, and we believe it was probably a year or two he had been gone. He had only been gone a year or two, and automatically all this stuff begins to happen. They start to lose the mission of what they were trying to do for the glory of God, to restore the worship, to, to bring the honor back to his, the city that was near and dear to him. They lost sight of it, and it only took a year for them to begin to drift. He had gone back to his job, as he promised Artaxerxes he would. And we see here in verse 8, then he says this. He comes back to Jerusalem. He says, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. He evicts Tobiah. His first act is, you're out, sorry, gone throw out his stuff, and he has it purified. He has it rededicated to the service of God that it would be filled with what was intended to be filled with. You know, uh, some of you know this. Um, people don't do what you expect. They do what you, you can say it loud, inspect. People don't do what you expect. They only really half the time do what you inspect. Nehemiah may have made an assumption, I got the right people in charge, so I can walk away. And then he gets word, everything has gotten messed up. And he has to come back and put things back in order. You know, I remember growing up, uh, uh, during the summer, okay, summer break would be going on. I'm at home, I was young, I didn't have a job or anything like that at that point. Dad would leave out a to-do list, Okay, today I need you to clean your room. I need you to do this and mow the lawn and all that stuff. And I would look at that when I would get up and eat my breakfast in the morning and be like, great, I have eight hours. And so I would go about and do whatever I wanted to, play Nintendo, do all that stuff with all those eight hours. And then all of a sudden, 
that time came. 4.45, 15 minutes till dad got home. And I'm telling you, we, you know, we talk about science, light speed, okay? Uh, we talk about the, and psychologically panic and how people panic. Yes, you will see kids move at speeds you never even knew that they were able to move. When all they know, dad is coming home in 15 minutes and I haven't done anything of what he told me to do. You almost get this panic feeling with this. And, and really, again, it gets back to that whole thing. People don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. And Eliashib had veered off course from what Nehemiah had instilled there. And there was a panic because he was getting things straight. You know, for those of us in leadership, secession and really even beyond, even beyond leadership, all of us need to be concerned about secession. There's another generation coming up in this church. We need to be concerned, involved, praying for, and an active part of secession, the future of this church. And there's no one in here that gets an opt-out. All of us have to be concerned. Those of you in leadership, secession of leadership, we need to be bringing leaders up behind us that we can then hand the baton off to don't think it's optional and don't think, well, that's not really what I'm good at. No, it's part of it. It's part of being a leader. Nehemiah, you see the importance of secession here because unfortunately it looks like Eliashib was not the right guy or at least he had gotten off track from what the mission really was all about and it wasn't just building a wall. There was something more important here that needed to be done. Uh, so this was the reinspection, and we see from this point on, all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets serious about reprioritizing three things. The first of these is God. He reprioritizes in Jerusalem. In verse 10, we see this. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites, the, uh, the customary food that was set aside for the, the people who worked in the temple, um, uh, we, I learned that this had not been given to them. They had been getting fed, which was a right according to the law, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. This is saying this. The people began to neglect God. They began to neglect the temple. They began to neglect worship and the importance of that. And they began to say, eh, we don't really need to feed them. We'll figure it out. And so all the people working in the temple, the priests, the musicians we see here, two very important roles, all of a sudden are like, uh, I have a family to feed and nobody is setting aside any of the food that we're supposed to be getting. We got to do something. So they had to literally go back and start working the fields again so they could feed their family when it was something that should have been coming if the people were being faithful in worship, faithful in God, faithful in their offerings. They literally went bivocational. Now, there is something to be said about bivocational ministry. If you don't know what that means, there are churches that have either by choice or because financial concerns where a pastor will uh, teach, but he also has a part-time job on the side or others in leadership do this. There's actually an advantage to it in keeping them rubbing shoulders with lost people. But the bigger intent here was this was something that was set aside by God for the law that the Levites shouldn't have to worry about this. And as a result, they neglected and they had to worry about it. They had to feed their families. They had taken God away as a priority in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah comes in and he reprioritizes this. He says, nope, 
this has got to change. We need to start making sure people are giving the right offering and the right thing so that the Levites can serve full time again. And then he reprioritizes worship. In verse 17, Nehemiah says, I rebuke the nobles, the powerful people. He's, this is now a second rebuke we know of that he's given them. I rebuke the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? desecrating the Sabbath day. I'll explain this in a second. Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Well, what had been happening here? The Sabbath, which was a day, according to the law, that was supposed to be set aside for rest, because that's what Sabbath means, to cease working. It was uh, for worship, it was for trusting God that you didn't have to work and your food would be provided. That's what this day was about. They'd sort of softened up now that Nehemiah was gone. You know that Nehemiah, it was so hard on this Sabbath thing. Oh, good grief. Uh, if you want to go out to whatever the restaurant is in town and grab food and take it back, do carry out. It's fine. It's fine. And they began to soften up all of this, even though God took it very seriously. Because this was a day of worship. This was a day of rest. And as a result, Nehemiah comes and says, what? You're doing what? So Nehemiah tells them, shut the gates as soon as the sun begins to go down because that's when the Sabbath would begin. And so the gates would shut. And all the people are like, what's going on? Not only that, the merchants that were coming from afar got to the gate and they're like, why is the gate closed? How are we going to get in there to start selling stuff? So it says that the merchants started to camp outside of the wall. They camp outside, hoping maybe they'll be let back in. Well, the people on the inside of the wall are being tempted by this. Well, you know, hey, my favorite, you know, uh, falafel place is right outside the wall. Do you think we could send somebody out there to go get that? And the temptation's there. Nehemiah then throws it down for the merchants that are camping outside the wall. Get lost or you'll be arrested. Isn't it interesting that as soon as we make a serious commitment for God to worship him and to make him number one in our lives, the temptation is not far away. As we see with Nehemiah and the Sabbath and the merchants hanging out around the wall. And sometimes we need to expel the temptation to the best of our ability to kick it out. And so Nehemiah gets them focused on this day of rest, this day of worship. And then he reprioritizes the third thing, purity. In verse 27, he confronts another issue that had crept back in because people had gotten off the mission of being a holy city. Must we hear now uh, that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God? Why or how? By marrying foreign women. Now this was not to say these were terrible women uh, and so on. The problem was this. The law said you don't marry people that are not Jewish. You stay with the Jewish people. Do not intermarry with these others. And this is a constant problem in Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, you see it time and time again that they just slip into this. And the problem is, is they would start to intermarry with these other women, and that would bring along idolatry because they didn't worship their God, and it would bring along immorality. And later on, he points out to them, he says, you shouldn't be marrying these foreign women. Do you not remember Solomon, one of our kings back in the day, who had, you know, 900, etc., concubines and wives and all this stuff? And what did that do to him? The wisest man to ever live 
veered away from God. He began to get into their gods. He began to lean into immorality. He softened up some of his convictions and so on. That should be a lesson for you all. Solomon, the wisest man, got off uh, balance from what he was supposed to be doing because of this. Because of this very thing. Marrying foreign women. And so he corrects them. You need to be pure. You need to stick to God's law. Whenever you rub shoulders with the culture around you, there are temptations to integrate and just soften your convictions and be exactly like them, even when it goes against God's word. And this is, I've brought this up before. This is important for all of us. As we deal with the culture around us, because you're going to walk outside these walls and you're going to stop somewhere for gas, you're going to go to a restaurant, eventually you're going to go back to work, you're going to be in town, you will, whether you like it or not, have to engage in this culture. You're going to have to talk with people. You're going to have to interact with them if you're going to be a part of a society here. And I've seen three ways that Christians often deal with the culture around them. The first is the one that we see with Israel, and it's integration. Basically, we become exactly like those around us. Yeah, we still hold to God and Jesus and church and all of that. But we also begin to veer away from things that God says explicitly in his word. And we begin to integrate. We begin to look like them while still holding on to some of what we believe about God. We see it with Israel. And, and God was very clear in his word saying, you can't serve two masters. He was very clear that you were either with me or you're not with me. There is no middle ground on this. The second way that people or Christians uh, adapt to culture or we confront culture is isolation. And this isn't exactly the answer either. Um, when I was serving in Baltimore, um, there was a parent of one of my students who bragged openly about how proud she was that her child had no friends that weren't Christians. Everyone was a Christian and they don't, even associate with people that aren't Christians. We have them isolated away. And I'll never forget my executive pastor looking at her and saying, I pity you. Because they're going to eventually come across lost people, and they're either going to not know what to do, or they're going to be all in with the way they're living their life. They're, we think that if we could just isolate all of us Christians away from the big, bad, awful world, there's hope. But the problem with that is we were called to go into the world, not isolate away from it. And third of these, the third one of this is um, that we infiltrate it. We live our lives out amongst those who don't follow God. We live to what we know to be true. We talk about what we know to be true. And that's what makes us different from the world around us. And they see what we have, and Lord willing, they say, I want that. Why do you do that? Why are you that way? And we get this awesome opportunity to live our faith out in front of them. Infiltration is what we're called to do, to be light in darkness. Not to be isolated away and not to look just like them. So, we see the struggle Israel has of integrating with those around them. And they were called to really be a light to the world as well. It is important for us as a church to be relevant. There are some things that aren't against the Bible, I would say are amoral, that we, it may, we may have convictions and preferences on it that others don't, 
But if it is not going in conflict with the Bible and it is not sinful, then we need to visit those as to how we as a church are doing things. Why do we do kind of music that we do? Why do we make a building, you know, we try to get a building to look a certain way? Why do we do certain ministries over others? If it is not going against biblical principle, if it is not sinful, there's got to be a reason behind that. And ultimately, it is to be a light in our world that we can infiltrate this world and have an impact. I want to bring this back to you as we wrap up. Think back to that decision that you made for God. Whether it was following him, whether it was I'm going to do missions or I'm going to support missions or I was going to give or I was going to be really faithful to the Lord, you name it. All of us have different decisions we made for God. Bold things that we've, we've felt God lay on us that we needed to make a difference. Think about that. And I encourage you to think about it because when was the last time you looked at that and said, man, I've gotten off track and I need to start getting back to that. I need to refresh that mission of what God has called me to. Because if you don't protect it, it is going to degrade and fall apart. And you will only, as you get older, look back and say, wow, I wish I would have. This past week I was reminded of this. Um, Olympics are coming up this year. Uh, and you, you'll see, man, they spend billions of dollars building these fantastic facilities uh, 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 for swimming and all of these other great things. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen any of this. You can Google this, uh, Olympic um, facilities degrading or devaluing or something like that. I, I only have two pictures, and there's a ton up here. This was one of the swimming, uh, or the swimming auditorium in Rio back, I think it was 2016. That's not even, that's what, seven, eight years ago. And this is what it looks like now. It's abandoned and it's empty. See, its purpose was the Olympics. Just like for some in Jerusalem, it was building the wall. It wasn't, let's have this amazing thing that we can encourage swimming in our country and encourage people to be healthy and so on and so forth. And now it just sits there. Here's another one that uh, I saw um, this was from Greece, and forgot how many years ago that one was. Um, but the softball stadium, it was immaculate, and everyone said, this is the greatest team in the world. Now it's just sitting out in this field, untouched. And this is just scratching the surface of how many of these are, uh, how much of this happens. Now, this isn't a commentary on the Olympics. What this is a commentary on is, is what God's called you to. That thing he motivated you to. If you do not stay on it, if you do not reflect on it and keep coming back to it, that's your future. That's your future. And he can't sit there and say, well, I really wanted to be used by God, but nothing happened. Here I am, going to church, doing my time. Stay true to the calling he's given you. The mission of what he, and if he hasn't, pray that he gives you a mission. My challenge for all of us is this, is to commit to a mission that will outlive you. You will never see it fulfilled in your lifetime. I'm not talking about just building a wall. I'm talking about living faithfully for God and letting him be seen in your life. Commit to a mission that will outlive you. As a church, I'm calling us to that. I would love to say that we will see the day that everyone in Ephrata comes to Christ. That would be awesome. Okay? But I know the chances of that are slim, and it's not because our God isn't mighty. It's because we live in a fallen world. But I am going to do whatever I can 
as a believer in this town, to be a part of that mission, as I ask all of us to be. Commit to a mission personally as well that will outlive you. You'll never be able to fully fulfill it, but you're going to keep working towards that. That is how great things get done for God. Remember what God called you to. Maybe it was making disciples. Yeah, I was really passionate about discipling people, and I really wanted to do that, but I just, I never really followed it up. Maybe it's bringing up godly kids in your home, being a godly aunt or uncle. Yeah, you know, I always had ambition that, oh, when I have kids or nieces and nephews and all this stuff, that I was going to be like the cool aunt or cool uncle or the cool parent, and I would get them to love Jesus, and they're going to be rock stars. They're going to be amazing for God, and and then life happens. Maybe for you it was to radically give. Man, I'm going to give God. I'm not doing 10%. I'm doing 50. I'm going to work a part-time job just so I can get more to God. And you really strongly felt him calling you to something like that, but you didn't maintain it, and as a result, it just faded. Now you're struggling to even do it week to week. Or once a month for that matter. Maybe for you it was to mentor young women. I'm going to mentor young women because the Bible says that the older women shall uh, raise up the younger women and be an example to them. And maybe it's, you know, uh, you wanted to mentor younger men. Well, you know, we need to mentor younger men and so on. And you drifted from that. Maybe it was to start a new ministry. I really feel strongly about mime ministry. Mimes, you know, them. I'm joking about this, but at the same time, I'm being serious. You had an idea for a ministry how you could serve God, either in the church or outside the church. And it died. You didn't maintain it. Eventually it was a memory. Maybe it's time to say, God, I need you to rekindle that fire in my life again. And help me to do those things that I know you laid on my heart to do, but I have not stayed true to. Help me to recommit myself to those things. And remind yourself of it often. And ask God to do great things through you. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for this incredible book of Nehemiah. It's more than this great story for leaders and, you know, building things. Lord, there's something for us personally here. That our lives would be consumed with you. That our lives would be focused on you and and pleasing you with our choices. Pleasing you uh, with our actions. God, that would be, when people meet us, they see you not us. Father, for those that have strayed from maybe something you laid on their heart a long time ago, maybe something you challenged them to do and they were excited about it in the moment and then time passed and they got distracted by other things or maybe they focused on the wrong thing. They, they were focusing on something they were able to complete and then they just sat there idly. God, whatever the case, that you would stir fire back up in our hearts to be able to accomplish what you can accomplish through us if we are sold out to you. Lord, we commit this to you. We commit this church to you uh, for the mission that we have ahead of us that we will never see fulfilled in our lifetime. But God, for your glory, for your kingdom, we will work towards it and we will work enthusiastically and committedly to being a church that makes a difference to the best of our abilities. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. 
Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.